Chapter 6 of My Travels, A Family Story. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tracy Butterick. My Travels, A Family Story by Maria Hackett. Chapter 6. In January 1841, we started from Hobart Town for London after spending 13 years in Van Diemen's land. We sailed in the ship Mary Ann of Glasgow, commanded by Captain Marshall. During our stay in Tasmania, God had blessed us with a large family. At the time of our departure, we had a family of eight children, the youngest being a babe of one month. We numbered all told 11, including a servant, and we engaged the whole of a cabin for which we paid the sum of $1,000, besides furnishing our own provisions. It may not be uninteresting to give a list of the articles necessary for such a long voyage. The following is the list, as near as I can remember. We bought eight barrels of flour, 100 pounds of crackers, 18 barrels of potatoes, 10 live sheep, 5 live pigs, five dozen chickens, two dozen ducks, one dozen geese, ten turkeys, two large flitches of bacon, ten hams, five barrels of apples, two boxes of raisins, two boxes of currants, 250 pounds of butter, 50 dozen eggs, 100 pounds of preserves, five gallons of raspberry vinegar, 10 gallons of brandy, 200 pounds of sugar, 40 pounds of coffee, 25 pounds of tea, and $40 worth of bologna sausages. In addition to livestock, we had two goats to furnish us with milk, and the quantity of food for the animals and poultry was necessarily very great. In order to overcome the inconvenience of washing clothes on shipboard, all the underclothing had to be taken with us unmade. When used, the undergarments were thrown overboard and new ones made. And of course, we had to have large quantities of linen and muslin in the piece. An incident took place on our departure which saddened all the children and indeed cast a gloom over the elder members of the family. Our faithful Newfoundland dog, the pet of the children, vainly endeavored to follow us on board the ship, but was put on shore by the sailors. When the ship sailed, he jumped into the water and swam away out to sea after us. We watched him with tearful eyes until the faithful animal sank from exhaustion beneath the billows. The voyage was a splendid and prosperous one. We rounded Cape Horn, which is one of the most desolate places on the face of the earth. Near the Falkland Islands, we met a whaler whose captain came on board. He was very anxious for news. As he stated, he had been out three years and was last from Vancouver's Island. We next sighted two small islands called Corvo and Flores. Mark Twain, in Innocence Abroad, describes them and their inhabitants. These were thickly settled and looked very pretty. The language spoken there was Portuguese. Many of the people came alongside our ship in boats and sold a large quantity of oranges and other fruits, fowls, and eggs to the captain and to us. 
we being the only passengers. About the 1st of July, we arrived off Flushing in Holland, and a few days later, we sailed up the Thames to London. It was Sunday when we arrived in London, but it was Saturday by our reckoning, we having gained a day sailing around the world in an easterly direction. Another singular fact was that it was summer when we arrived in England, and it was summer when we left Australia, so that I enjoyed two summers in the year 1841. We spent a month in London. My husband was very much occupied in trying to get a settlement of his claims against the government, but with very little success. We then started for Cork, where my husband bought a distillery and again entered on his old business. The change of climate was very severe upon our children, and they all took sick, successively with measles, whooping cough, scarlet fever, and other diseases peculiar to children, but which were utterly unknown in the place we had just come from. Six years after, in 1847, the great typhus fever broke out in Ireland, and my husband, who was interested in bread distribution and other societies for the relief of the poor, contracted the disease and forfeited his life in trying to relieve the miseries of others. Eighteen gentlemen, our near neighbors, died of the same disease, and many families in Cork were bereft of their sole support in consequence of having contracted the fever. It is a matter of history and therefore needs no description from my pen, but the terrible destitution and suffering of the poorer class of the people of Ireland at that time is without parallel. The misery, however, was alleviated in a great measure by the generosity of the American people who sent large quantities of corn and flour for the relief of the destitute. I continued the business myself until 1854, when, becoming convinced that my children would have a better opportunity of improving their prospects by going to the United States, and as my two eldest sons were already there, I disposed of my business and started for America. The above chapters have dealt solely with a description of my mother's long voyage to Australia and return, a matter of 36,000 miles. According to her description of Hobart Town, it must have been a delightful place in which to live. She lived there with her devoted husband for 13 years and became the mother of nine children. Eight of these children came back with her. One died, an infant, and her tenth child was born in Cork, being the only Irishman of the family. You may have noticed the very pathetic incident related of the faithful Newfoundland dog swimming after the vessel until he sank beneath the waves. This always seemed to us children a particularly sad incident, and we criticized, as much as we dared, our parents' conduct in not insisting on bringing the poor fellow along. The continuation of the story involves the account of a shipwreck, which to a great extent is very similar to the loss of the Titanic. The location was nearly the same, off the coast of Newfoundland. The ship, on her first trip, was lost. But fortunately, there was no loss of life, as just before sinking, the boat was run on the rocks. However, the lifeboats were all in use. The women and children taken off first, 
but there was almost as much terror and fright experienced as there was on the Titanic. End of chapter 6. Recording by Tracy Butterick.